On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting with Teresa Burns, long-time, long-time coach of the McMaster Marauders women's basketball team. This weekend, finally got her and their national championship. It's a big moment for her. We're going to be chatting. It's exciting. Also, Don Robertson comes in. We're going to be talking about Harry Howell. Big loss for the community over the weekend. The NHL playoff format, which is stupid. And whether or not European goalies should be allowed to play in the Canadian Hockey League. Stick around. All coming up. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Down at the Madame Athletic Centre. Uh, many of you will know that as the old Maple Leaf Gardens. It's where the National Women's Basketball Tournament was going on. McMaster was playing Laval which always is the case, is it not? Anytime McMaster's in a national championship, it apparently always has to be against Laval. Apparently there's some sort of, I don't know, cosmic law that says those two teams must play all the time in any big event. Anyway, uh, McMaster versus Laval, it was on TV. Place was full, great atmosphere, lots of McMaster people there. And in the end, as surely you know by now, McMaster won won its first ever women's national basketball championship. In fact, won its first ever basketball championship, national basketball championship, male or female, for the school. Interesting afterwards what the theme or what one of the themes was that we kept hearing. Go on social media. Here's some of the tweets. And these are typical of a lot of the tweets that were out there. Couldn't be happier or more proud of my alma mater and coach Teresa Burns. She taught me and many others what it means to be inspired. Another one, head coach Teresa Burns deserves this after putting her heart into this program for the past 25 seasons. The players wanted to win this for her as much as they wanted to win it for themselves. Here's another one. I'm beyond thrilled for Teresa Burns leading her McMaster team to the U Sports title, a true fighter and a class act. One more. If you want to know what the spirit of McMaster sports looks like, go take a look at Teresa Burns. Seems only appropriate that we bring Teresa Burns on. Congratulations, coach. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate it. Uh, why do you think, and I'm going to put you right on the spot, and it may be a little embarrassing, but I'll ask anyway, why do you think everybody seemed to be rooting so hard, not only for your team, but for you? <laughs> well, uh, wow. I, that's all. That's, that's really, really nice, and I appreciate it so much. I just, I think people kind of attach themselves to our team this year because they watch the dynamic on our team and the culture on our team. Um, it, it, you don't have to be around our team very long to see how much the players respect each other and, and care about each other and, and everyone in the program, our staff, our coaches, our players, we, we sincerely care about each other and we're there to empower each other and push each other. And I think that was in the way we presented ourselves and in everything that we did. Um, it was the way we took to the court and played on the court every day. And I, I think people like that and, and it's a positive and, and they want to be part of it. So, um, just what an incredible journey. I know that this is getting away from your question, but I'm going to jump in and I I need to say thank you to our alumni for sure. And to all the people that came out to support us at nationals and all through the season, the, the atmosphere in the Mattamy for nationals was absolutely electric. It's I've been doing this a long time and, and I haven't played in a lot of atmospheres like that. It was unbelievable and I can't thank people enough on behalf of everyone in our program. Well, I'm guessing that at this point, after 26 years of doing this, you would have w- happily taken a national championship if you had to play in a open-air arena in downtown Baghdad, quite frankly. But the fact <laughs> that it was in front of so many McMaster people and so many of your p- former players and alumni and everything else, did that add anything to the moment for you? 
Oh my goodness, it was it was incredible. Uh, it added everything to the moment, and you know, I take that as a sign that we've been doing things right. And I think the alumni that have come through our program have cared and loved their experience. Uh, it's a legacy that they leave for each player that comes after them. Our current players feel that. Uh, we talked to them before the semifinal and the final about how much alumni support was pouring in for them. People love to be a marauder. Uh, there's, there's a great deal of pride and, and care and love in being a marauder and you're a marauder for life. And when our players in the current year feel that, they're just, they, they go out into that court on such a high and feeling so supported and so confident that they're free and easy and loose to do what they can do best. And I think our team did that this weekend. It's a. This is a question that it doesn't really matter now, I suppose, because of what happened. But you said many times over the weekend, even you were asked many times uh, if you really thought or had any doubts that this would happen. Uh, and you always had said, "Yeah, you've had doubts over the years. You, you never know that this is going to be the case." Would it? Have, would you have been okay if, when the day came that you had to retire and walk out the door, if you had never won this championship, would you have been okay with that? <laughs> Yeah, that's hard. I mean, yeah, I mean, you you want to be the best you can be. And, and I would never, ever want to walk out the door. I would never want to walk on the court at any time and feel like I let someone down or I didn't give them my best or we didn't get them as far as we could get them. So, um, you know, that is the goal every single time we step on the court. And, um, you know, if that was the case, then that's the case. And, um but I, I certainly still, I mean, obviously wanted to chase this and still love the game and I love it enough and I love the players enough that um, I am so happy doing this and I couldn't be happier with how this turned out. Have you been surprised at all over the past 24 hours, give or take? It's, it's a little less than 24 hours now, but have you been surprised at all with the just the amount of people who expressed that they were interested in this, that watched, that tuned in, that have seemingly been invested in you winning? Uh, it's been kind of overwhelming, to be honest. Um, It's been a few tears shed. Um, It's been very emotional, to be honest. Um, I've heard from people that I haven't seen in 30 years, whether they're part of my high school experience or university or coaching colleagues or people I've met in the sport over the years. Uh, So many people attach themselves to this team and I really do believe this team had a special aura about them. I've been saying that for months now, and I really believe that to be true. And so this experience has been really one of the highlights, maybe the highlight of my career. And I, I'm so grateful to everyone who's been a part of it. Trace Quigley, the, the athletic director that hired me at Mac, was, was at our game. And um, as soon as she walked up, we both started crying. I mean, there's just been so many people that have been instrumental in, in giving me this opportunity to have these wonderful years at McMaster. And this this experience this weekend has just been off the charts wonderful. Uh, Teresa, I, I must say, I saw a photo from when you were a player and you won a, your previous national championship in U of T in 1986. I had to look at the team two or three times to, to figure out which one you were. It's been a few years. Um <laughs> But the thing that really struck me when I see you as a player back then and then now, and even in the past 10 years, those people who watched the game on TV or in person, I think had to have been struck by how different women's basketball at that level is now from even maybe even five years ago, certainly 10 years ago. It's a vastly different game. Yeah, really. I mean, it's just grown by leaps and bounds. It's been wonderful to see 
Uh, for anyone involved in the game or who loves the game, uh, women's basketball is just on such an upward trajectory right now. I think a lot of it has to do with the coaching. I think our coaching development in Canada has been outstanding, and we've got so many good young coaches and, and older coaches, but um, just coaching education has grown by leaps and bounds, and therefore the, the information passed along to the athletes is that much better. Um, and then just it's just the way of the world. I mean, we're such a global society now, so European game, the Asian game, the, the North American game, they're all mi- mixing together, and um, you see global players and global skill sets and players who can basically do everything on the court. You don't have the old power forward who can't dribble and point guard who can't post up. Every athlete can do everything now. So the game has just grown by leaps and bounds, and it's been so much fun to be part of. But this game in particular, the one yesterday that you were involved in the championship game, I I think it was really important that way because you had a bunch of people who were probably tuning in maybe for the first time to see you play because they heard McMaster was going to be in the final. And had it been a dud or had it been a game that suddenly people tuned in and went, oh, you know, hmm, that, that could have the opposite effect of what you were trying to do, of the effect that I think you probably did have to impress a lot of people. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you want to put a good, uh, a good performance out there and you want the product to look good, and, and I think it did. I, I honestly think this Nationals was one of the closest matched Nationals with the most parity I've seen in a long time. Any team could have won this, and um, I, I think if people watched that game, they just saw so much passion and so much skill Laval, my goodness, what a skilled team. Uh, so dangerous. They could score in so many ways. They played at such a fast pace. Perimeter shooting, inside game, outside game. I mean, it was crazy. And, um, and you know, I'll say the same thing for our team. We just we came at them in waves of scorers. Anybody at any given transition could score. And, I mean, that's fun to watch. So you could tell by the crowd they were into it, and it was exciting, and it was fun. And, and I'm glad to see that for women's basketball. I heard someone say today that they felt it, and I think they're right, that they felt it was inevitable that this would eventually happen, if only because of the Hamilton basketball system with the Blessed Sacrament and the Transway and the high schools, that there, there's such a pipeline of female, of girl players who are coming that eventually this seemed inevitable. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, inevitable, right? It's a, That was a long time, but, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, the Hamilton scene... Hamilton really, you know, a lot of people will say they, they feel that that's where the club basketball really grew and with the, you know, the original Transway program and what Doug Harrison did for it and on, onward through the years. And um, it's just such a hotbed. And again, it's the number of athletes that participate. It's the number of people who coach. It's the number of opportunities that we give girls to play and to grow in the sport. And it creates competitive uh, situations, and so they, their development is that much more accelerated. And uh, the Hamilton area is just a hotbed, and for sure we've benefited from it at McMaster. There's a lot of girls that sit in the crowd and dream about being on the court one day. Aaron Burns, Hillary Hanica, Christina Buttonham, they've all said that over the last couple of years. Just, gee, I was out there in the crowd, and I always thought I'd be out there, and look at them. Now they are, and look what they've done. And the other funny part, though, is that the player of the tournament and the player of the game last game and two others in your team, really key parts, were from Newmarket, which, how did you have the pipeline to Newmarket? What was that? How did you find that one to to be able to work out and get those players to come in? Well, you know, I mean, recruiting is all about connections, and we try to to get out there and meet as many coaches as we can in the province, high school, club, etc., 
Um, and, you know, we have those connections. And so when, when there is a student athlete that comes on the scene and coaches will get in touch and say, hey, come and watch this one. I think she might be good for you. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about building a relationship with those athletes. And first and foremost, they have to be a McMaster student. Uh, they have to fit that McMaster student mold. They have to be serious about their academics, and all of our players are. And when that fits, tick that box, and then you move on to the basketball part. And Linnea Harper, my goodness, uh, she's been sort of the face of the program for her entire five years, and I was so thrilled to see her be the, the tournament MVP. She's earned those accolades times 10. She's She's been a difference maker. She's been a matchup problem for other teams, and kind of hard to believe that she's played her last game for us. I don't even really want to think about that right now. I just I just want to celebrate the great things she's done. Well, the good news for this is that um, you won, obviously. The bad news is now next year, everyone is going to be even more interested in beating you. Um, but <laughs> I, I guess that's a problem for September, October, November. You know what? That's like a first world problem. <laughs> I mean, really, You'll take the trade off. We will take the trade off any day. There is no, like really, truly, there is no bad news in this story at all in any place. It's all good. It's all amazing. And we're just really grateful and, and really enjoying every second of it. Uh, that is Teresa Burns. 26 years she's been at Mac. A lot of people, as I said, off the top rooting for her, and uh, she has now got her gold medal and her bronze baby. Uh, really appreciate the time, Teresa. Congratulations. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate it. That uh, And by the way, in case you're wondering what a bronze baby is, that is the name of the national championship trophy. That's not a... Uh, <laughs> so when I first said that today, someone said, are you like making some sort of like girl joke? No, no, no. That's the name of the trophy. So just... I'm not, no one's disparaging anyone. It's a good thing. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We bring in Don Robertson. He is the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys, of ComChoice Realty, of um, three-time winner of Mr. Dundas, still has the sashes to prove it and the tiaras. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, glad to, uh, glad to be here and glad to learn all that. About your uh, sashes. The sashes? Well, you know, you, I don't know what your state of mind was when you were in those competitions. It, uh, <laughs> like normal, likely, just in space. Uh, a lot of stuff I want to get to today, but I did want to start with um, the thing. I know that Bill Kelly talked about it today. I was on with Bill, but I wanted to bring you on because I would argue that probably the biggest, the well, the best hockey player from this city are one of the biggest athletes ever from this city passed away on Saturday night. Harry Howell died. Uh, you knew Harry. You've met Very Harry well. many, many, many times. Uh, you tell me about Harry. Um, well, there's been so much said, and, and uh, I put a quote on uh, our, our Facebook page because we, you know, we uh, acknowledged it and said he was a great hockey player and a better person. And and uh, I'd have told you that five years ago, ten years ago. I mean, Harry didn't need to pass for for that to be my opinion. It was a long time ago. I just started running. Um, I think we just got to the senior level and uh, knew Harry was living in Carlisle, so I ran into him at a golf course and said, would you have time to give me 15 minutes when I talk to you about hockey players? He said, sure. So I boot up to Carlisle about three days later. He gives me his number, of course. And we 
I'm just looking for guys that are retired because he's now scouting in the National Hockey League, and so I thought he could be a source of players. And then um, when we bought the Collins Hotel in Dundas, we started a golf tournament, and we decided to run a celebrity tournament, which turned out to be very successful. It was the year after we'd won the Allen Cup in Brantford, and I, I clawed back to just sell commercial real estate, and we kind of made an investment in that thing, and it turned into Duck Sports Bar. And Of course, Bobby Hull's boys played, so Bobby was there, and Harry Hall was gracious enough, gracious, gracious enough to come every year. And uh, everybody just loved the guy. I mean, um, Bobby Hull was one of the star attractions. I mean, the, the, the money that uh, we were raising was going to the Tim, Tim Horton Children's Foundation, and, and um, <clears throat> Ron Joyce would come to our tournaments at that time and bring his buddy Dave Thomas. And, but whether it was Ron Joyce or anybody, everybody loved Harry Howell because he was ours. <clears throat> Pardon me, I mean, Bobby Hull was the Golden Jet and everything else, but everybody would always always make their way to Harry Hall because he was ours and uh, didn't have the Stanley Cups to prove it, but just an absolute perfect gentleman. And I read your column today, and uh, I, f- I found it fascinating um, how everything seems to come, whether it's full circle or uh, how close the world can actually be. Uh, it was a couple years ago um, after game one up at Harry Howell Arena because we were transplanted because of J.L. Greitmeyer, which anybody that listens knows has been a struggle for us. But after the game, I'm having a beer with uh, Dave Beeler and Roger Oakes, and Dave says, uh, Dean Prentice was at the game, and our program wasn't out yet. And I, I said, really? He says, yeah, like he used to run the Air Arena, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you guys know why? Now, Dean Prentice, by the way, was a former New York Ranger teammate of Harry's and junior teammate. Yeah, sorry. And, and, and yep, yep. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming I'm just sitting here talking to you, but yes, thank you for clarifying. And you had him quoted in your mm-hmm. article today. And the irony of that comment is that, you know, Dean Prentice is coming to Harry Howell's arena to watch his grandsons, hmm. Dan and Phil Brewer. And Phil Brewer won the scoring championship that first year first year with us, Dan, but with us a couple more years. But it, it was it, the irony of it, right? We've got his two grandsons playing, so that's why he's coming to Harry Howell Arena. And Harry Howell, as so many of us know, was a very good friend of Harry Howell's. So it's everybody speaks so glowingly of such a wonderful man. and it, It's unfortunate the last few uh, years he was with us were robbed from him with uh, dementia and so on. But I, like you, was there the day they, they named the arena after Harry Thank Howell. Thank goodness. Right, thank he, you. He knew what was he, he still down. knew. He still yep. knew. He still was able to enjoy it. And but, you know, I, I'll say this for the city of Hamilton: um, they have become much better about this. And I think, truly, I think that the Harry Howell situation may have helped with this because it used to be such a struggle to get anything named after somebody, and. Even, you know, even Harry with that arena with the, the up at the corner of five and six, it took them forever to get around to doing something. And it was only when it became public that he had Alzheimer's that they seemed to have a fire lit under them. But uh, as I said, I'm not taking a shot because to their credit, that seemed to be a wake up call because since then there have been 
Russ Jackson. Russ Jackson and Melissa Tancredi has had something named after her. And there are others that have the Bill Friday Arena, uh, which was Layfield or Lawfield, and there's a bunch of others. And thank goodness, like it's it's good the city is doing this. And and you and I are talking sports. It doesn't have to be a sports personality. No. I I don't understand honestly how Martin Short, Martin Short and Eugene Levy don't have something named after them at this point. I know that a, a guy that many people in this city know or are aware of, a real character from this city, Cadillac Bill, has been pushing for something to honor Florence Lawrence, who was way, way, way back, but was the first female Hollywood movie star. She was the first, and she was from Hamilton, and she was the first one whose name ever appeared in the movies. They were all before that just nameless people. She was the first. These, there is still room. They're doing better. They still need to do better, but... It was Harry, I think, that Don, because they cut it really close to Harry not being able to understand and remember what was going on with that arena. He did, and thank goodness he did because he he deserved that. But they, I think they've learned from that. I think the city's doing better with that. I don't, uh, as you well know, I don't kiss anybody's butt. Um, but I think one of the things that has driven the city to start moving a little quicker um, and here's the part where I'm not kissing anybody's butt. They were just getting sick and tired of you pounding them on the fact that things like Harry Howell and Russ Jackson and you have taken such a leadership role in our community to make sure things like that happen. And every time you talk about Harry Howell, you do it exactly the way you just did it. It's not about Harry Howell. It's not about <clears throat> the Dave Anderchuk Arena. And when you see the Dave Anderchuk arena happen so quickly based on individual success, Dave and- Anderchuk was going to be a Hall of Famer bef- probably before he won a Stanley Cup. But when you can act that quickly, and the old argument was, um, and I remember when they, they named the uh, community center up in Ancaster, the Bob Wade Community mm-hmm. Park. And I remember listening to uh, my neighbor, Murray Ferguson, who was the counselor at the time, and he said, one of the struggles always is, is that if they name a, a building or they do that, and then all of a sudden- They go O.J. Simpson. They Yeah, or a Michael, uh, Michael Jackson mm-hmm. documentary comes out. So they were always fearful of that, but when you start looking at the ilk of the people like Russ Jackson and Harry Holly, I think you're pretty safe here. If you've hit 80 years old- the chances of them suddenly becoming a drug mule or meth dealer or mass murderer are, are reasonably slight. Well, and they also have the advantage, Scott, as do I, thank goodness, that when we were being characters, um, there were no iPhones, there were no videos, there were no pictures. They were just stories that could be disputed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, as we know, the world's changed. But you, you, you did just a masterful well, I appreciate job. appreciate that. But and, it's... And, and carry on to do it. And don't stop. Like Martin Short. I mean, the guy's a legend. There's another uh, guy that doesn't reach Martin Short's um, and um, uh, level. is Steve Enoch from my hometown in Linden was in hundreds of TV episodes and died far too young. Died the same day as um, Haas from uh, uh, Bonanza. And he was like in his forties. It was a shame, but you know, even in Flamborough, we should—I should probably take that cause up. But yeah, you do a wonderful job, and they should. And I'm so glad that Harry got an opportunity to enjoy it, uh, as perhaps as little bit as he could. But at least he knew about it, and it was wonderful. Yeah. Well, and again, I it, it, thank you. But it's 
these are things that should be done. They just should. And when you have people who are at his level and Russ Jackson's level and that kind of thing, it's to me, it's a no-brainer. It, Far too often, and um, I have an. I, I think our city council do a, a pretty stellar job at running our city. I have a number of friends of mine are city councilors, and I'm not trying to trying to take a shot at anybody, but it seems in the past that not in Hamilton, not just in Hamilton, not just in the province, not just at Pearson Airport or Trudeau Airport in Montreal. The naming after buildings and everything else comes quickly to politicians. Oh. Yeah, of course it does. And so when you start hiving off different places, then uh, maybe somebody's going, well, there'll be no room for my name to go on anything. I don't, I, I'm quite convinced no, that's I, not the case. But traditionally. Traditionally, you're absolutely right. And, and thankfully it's changing a bit, but you're, no, you're, you're, I'll say it. You're not r- wrong at all. It has been traditionally, the body was not cold yet and they were naming things after politicians. Like, and, and to me. The really ridiculous part about that is there are some politicians that absolutely you can look at and say, you know what? Yeah. A guy like Bob Morrow, who was, how long was Bob Morrow mayor of the city 142 years. I think so. Uh, that's fine. And you you do the forecourt at City Hall. Boy, does that ever make sense. In Ancaster, the old town hall, the forecourt. And Slope. And Slope. I mean, those things to me make perfect sense for longevity and tremendous contributions to the community. But you but are not a, a public, hockey rink. But you are also supposedly a public servant. You're a public servant. You've been paid well. You've been remunerated, remunerated well. I, I, I'm... You, in my mind, you should have to be such an unusually beloved long-term politician or, and, and even to the point where, you know, I know there have been things in this city named after people who died young, died tragically young, their stories are sad. I'm not even, you know, we can have that discussion. In some cases I would say yes, in some cases no, but there are people, whether it's Harry, whether it's Martin Short, Eugene Levy, who you talked about. Go through the list, and, and not just actors, and certainly not just athletes, where you say, we, the city is only benefiting by having these things that are honoring them. When you have Bernie Filoni Way, when you have Bernie Custis High School now, these yes. are, these are things that only are good for and, the city. And that was fitting, right? He was, he was an was. educator. He, and it's right in the priest of the stadium precinct. Yes. And every time the TV cameras now show a Ticat game, they're going to see Bernie Custis High School, the first black quarterback in professional football. Why would we not want that? You know what I think we, we, we fail to do sometimes? And this is as Canadians, not just Hamiltonians, is we really stubbornly start to brag about our heroes. In the States... I'm sure if you score six touchdowns in your high school final and you win the state championship, they name the stadium after you or they name a football after you. Up here, we're always a little bit more reluctant, and I hope we kind of break those shackles. You know, you talk about things being named after each other. Um, J.L. Greitmeyer, he was the lead on the funding to build the arena in Dundas. Dundas got it right. I mean, um, I'm not convinced J.L. Greitmeyer was a great hockey player, but he built buses in Dundas. He was an industrialist and helped with the uh, Dundas Valley Golf Course. He did a lot of good things. They got it right. You know, thank the people that make big contributions. You don't have to win a Stanley Cup. You don't have to star in a movie, but you have to play a significant role in your community. And uh, you're agreed. 
And I would argue that there should be a character element to it as well. Because I don't want to, even if someone was a terrific whatever, if they are a colossal jerk, I don't want to have something named after them. But if you can combine the excellence at whatever it is they're doing on a big, big, big stage, and they are someone that you would be proud of, I... I, Pretty easy, isn't it? That seems pretty easy. Well... It does seem pretty easy. And again, the idea that we haven't done something yet for Martin Short or others, are we concerned that Martin Short is suddenly going to go rogue and, you know, pull a Walter White or, I mean, who? uh, to me, it's like while they can enjoy it, while they are here, while they're alive, it's it's why the Russ Jackson thing, I'm so relieved they're finally going to do something for Russ Jackson. He is still coherent. He's still 100% clear. He is still healthy. What would be the point of waiting? I'll tell you one of the ones that uh, that I was unhappy about is um, an old friend, a great a great senior hockey player. I used to referee him. Gaylord Paulus. Mm. Some who site perhaps was the best lacrosse player I've heard ever. that many times. The great Mohawk. And Gaylord passed away of cancer, and within a month of his passing, they named the arena the Gaylord Paulus Center. And so what's the point? Like, do it two months before he dies. At least let the guy Well, what about the Hockey go? Hall of Fame? When they decided not to have Pat Quinn get voted in while he was, or, or Pat Burns, pardon me, Pat Burns, yeah, that was while he thing. was dying of cancer and you knew he was going in, yeah. you knew he was going into the Hall of Fame and you knew that he didn't have much time left and it was like some sort of stubborn, we are not going to be cowed into doing what is right just because people tell us we have to do this. And the year after he dies... He's voted in, and you say, why would you not have done that the year before? What possibly could have compelled you to say he's somehow not this year. He's a Hall of Famer next year, but not this year. What was uh, t- to me that every single person who was on that Hall of Fame committee, in my mind, should have been run out of their spot because that to me was mean. That was that was simply cold, and that was mean, and that was unnecessary, and it showed a level of stubbornness. That was unfortunate. And as far as I'm concerned, anybody, even good people who were on that committee should have been said, you know what, we're going to go with some people who actually have some ability to figure this out. You know, the, you know, the guys that argued for it felt a lot better about themselves than the guys that argued against it. I who could, hope. who could have argued against yeah. it? He was going into the, so anyway, I'm not going to get into Let the me, whole Pat Burns thing, but it's the, the point is why wait if they're, if it's going to happen do it while they can, and we go back to Harry. Thank goodness they did it while they did. Yeah, I don't want to get myself in any glue here about uh, the naming of, of uh, the arena in Oshweekin, and I want to be clear. I think it's an absolute wonderful thing, Like, and it was yeah. an honor that should be bestowed on them, but I think they were a month late. Yes, yes. That's the only problem. I mean, it's an honor he deserves, just a month late. And and Pat Burns, it's, I don't know. Uh yeah, Harry Howell is you a, and I, It's too bad you and I don't have more time to run almost everything. It's, we would do it right. Yeah. Not everybody would agree, but we would do it right. Uh, but yes, huge, huge loss for the city. Unfortunate about Harry. Um, he was coming. He was 86 years old. He had a great life. His daughter was, you know, talking to Cheryl, was telling me, you know, he had a great life. And he passed away three weeks after his wife of 64 years. You know, there's, you don't want them to go, but there are worse ways to have lived and to have gone. So... There you go. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, you and I may have talked about this before. I don't know, but the Leafs are playing against Tampa Bay tonight. 
Uh, Tampa Bay, of course, the first place team in the NHL by a mile. And yet the Leafs have played well against Tampa Bay. So there is it's still it's 0-0 right now. But there is a reasonable chance the Leafs win this game tonight. It would not be a shock if the Leafs won this game. And if that happens, the Leafs are going to be third overall in the NHL. Oh, now it's one nothing Tampa as I say that. Um, but either way, if the Leafs were to win this game, they would be third overall in the league. If they don't win this game, they'll be fourth overall in the league. When they get to the first round of the playoffs they are going to have, a, have to play a team higher than them in the standings in the overall NHL state. It, it is a stunning, and quite frankly, Don, we go back to this, I think it becomes more and more clear, to me anyway, This is the, the NHL's playoff system is so broken, and yet they go to the Board of Governors meetings and they apparently seem delighted with the way that it's going to work out. There are teams that are going to have just based on if the Leafs decided to go into the tank right now and intentionally lose almost the rest of their games and just sl- slide into the playoffs anywhere but the last spot in the conference they would have a way easier run to go through if they if the Leafs were to go in for example if the Leafs were to drop down to where Carolina is right now in the first playoff spot uh they would get the Washington Capitals in the first round of the playoffs. Defending Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, but not nearly as good a team as Boston or as Tampa Bay. Not nearly as good. So somehow, by finishing seventh in your conference, you will be in a better playoff spot than you will be by finishing third. It makes no sense. And I'm, it's not even just a matchup thing. I mean, some teams match up better than others, better with a certain teams than others. How... How do, we, how do we complicate these things? How does hockey, how do other leagues, they seem to make these things so complicated and ultimately, almost always, the answer is keep it simple. One versus eight, great. Regular season means something. They want, uh, they like brackets. I know. NCAA's brackets. Uh, the Americans like brackets. The American NBC now are doing well. Sportsnet like rivalries. It's... In my opinion, it's more of a TV-driven issue than it is a common-sense issue that you and I are talking about. Now, virtually all the teams in the East now are in the same time zone, so that that kind of puts that into perspective. Um, But they like local rivalries, and they like, I'm telling you, they like brackets. And when NBC and Sportsnet are going to pay them the dough they're paying, then they're going to like it because... As I always come back to, the owners say, how do we make the most money? Well, this is how NBC and, and Sportsnet like it. Okay, that's how we like it. So does that mean then that when the day comes that it's not Toronto and Tampa who are, you know, Toronto is obviously the big hockey market with Montreal and Canada, but if it's the Rangers and the Islanders who somehow now are second and third overall in the league, and they are going to be wiped out. One of those teams is going to be wiped out in the first round. Is that then when the NHL says, we got to do something about this? I don't we think they care. We can't lose one of those big teams, one of those big market teams right off the bat. we got to stretch this thing out. Well, I don't... I, don't I would bet you that that's when, it, that's when someone says, or when the Kings are in position, it's the Kings and the Ducks and the, and the Blackhawks, and you say, oh, we can't lose all of our big market teams all in one let me shot. Tell you what, let me tell you what the Board of Governors meeting is. We don't like this. Somebody's pounding their fist on the table and everything else, and Gary Batman says, well, we can change it. 
It's going to cost us $750 million a year. And they're going, you know what? It's all right the way it is. Why would it cost $750 million? bucks? When, when, the, when the networks can't control um, the uh, the playoffs the way they want to and set the brackets up the way they want, no, but I'm they're going to start clawing some cash out no, of the but deal. I'm, I'm saying the, the, the networks are going to say, we don't want to lose the big U.S. market teams early uh, they're on. Not, they're not going to change it every year. I think that, I mean, it, oh, they won't change it every year. It'll become an issue when it's that situation. It may be a bigger issue. Right? But, you know, here's what I look at. And, and uh, you know, we... We had to play Stony Creek this year, and they were far and away a better regular season team than we were. And, you know, a couple guys uh, were saying, geez, we get stuck with Stony Creek again. And I said, well, if we're going to win a national championship, we got to get through them sometime. Why don't we get through them now? I mean, if you're going to win a Stanley Cup and you got to beat the Boston Bruins and Tampa Bay Lightning, beat them. But do you have to? Could they not be upset in another playoff round and you come in? Well, why don't you upset them? Well, I get what you're saying. If Toronto end up third in their division, it yeah, overall, no third overall in the league. Okay, they shouldn't have to play somebody better than them above in the- them in the standings. I mean, it is a bit of a. I, I, I will concede that it's it's it uh, does, to me the problem it's a little bit ridiculous. The problem with the playoff system, the way it is set up right now, is the NHL season takes forever to play, just like the NBA season does, just like Major League Baseball. So at the very least, if you're going to have this endless season, make the regular season count for something. Make it matter so that, you know, yeah, a game like this where Tampa Bay already has 108 points, they couldn't be caught if you had them go to Dominican Republic for a three-week vacation and didn't play any of their games. This game, yeah, they're still playing hard. Toronto can't really do much. They're going to play Boston. It's just whether they get home ice or not home ice. Yep. Boston is going to play Toronto. It's just whether they get home ice or not. Tampa is home and cooled right now. The regular season for these teams really at this point, it's about resting guys. It's about balancing your goaltending. You want it so that they have to win every single game or want to win every single game. Well, that's why I think that's why I think the NHL has it best for the teams that get an eighth spot and uh, the Edmonton Oilers went to a Stanley Cup final against Carolina from the eighth spot. The LA Kings got in the last weekend and won a Stanley Cup. They were in the final playoff spot and eighth in the West. And I think I think the reason you see lots of upsets in the first round and hockey is so good, I always think the, be- the best round of the playoffs, generally speaking, is the first round. And because by the time you get the finals, They've already had. They've already had to win twelve games. They're mm-hmm. tired. They're beat up. Guys are hurt. But the the eighth place team has probably been on a roll for a month just to get into the playoffs, and they're they're on fire when they get there. Not generally does anybody coast into eighth place. So that's gen- generally speaking, when you might see an upset of the seventh or eighth place team beating out the second seed or the top seed, but in this circumstances, they're not going to have to play the second seed, obviously. And and I guess what uh, the irony that you bring up is that the teams that aren't at the top of the East may well have an easier path to get to round two or three. And, but you know what? I mean, again, if, if, uh, if how much, how much is a home playoff game worth to an NHL team? Well, it used to be worth a million. I think it's worth three now. Okay. So even go beyond that. The NHL we know now is a business. You're the Leafs, you're the Bruins, whomever. If you have a brutal first-round playoff matchup, you don't get the softer touch, that could then cost you three home games in the next round, which is almost $10 million you would lose. Yep. 
so tell me again then why, even from a business side, you would say, look, we did really well in the regular season. We should at least have the better opportunity, the clearly better opportunity to put some money back into our pocket. But it, but it, but the, the scenario that's in all probability going to happen this year doesn't unravel like this every year either. No, and I go back to my point, though, is that when it becomes a situation like this and it's two or three major, major, major U.S. markets, suddenly I believe that the league and the broadcaster, especially NBC, will suddenly be very interested in making sure that we don't like when this situation arises. They won't change it mid-season, but they'll say, for next year, we're not going to let this happen Well, I think, I think what you'll, what'll happen, it'll have to become a trend. If it's a one-off, they're going to go, geez, our luck really sucks this year. But if it becomes a trend and they start losing big markets, it'll be a different conversation. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Up until recently, I think it was this year, maybe last year, but very recently, the Ontario Hockey League, the Canadian Hockey League did not allow European goalies. You had to be a Canadian to play goal in the Canadian Hockey League, Ontario Hockey League, Quebec, whatever. This year, two of the five goalies in save percentage in the Ontario Hockey League are European guys. It's a kid who plays for Sudbury, who's outstanding. Yuko Pekka Lukanen, and there's Ivan Prozvitov for Saginaw. So a, a Finnish guy. And, and a Russian guy. And a Russian guy, yeah. Should, considering how few Canadian goalies are being produced right now in the NHL, they really are. Most of the, the Most of the best goalies in the league now are not Canadian guys. Mm-hmm. Should... Canadian Hockey League be going back to the Canadian only, or do you say, no, we want the best goalies, I don't care where they come from, playing in our league? Well, that system doesn't seem to have produced a whole lot of NHL goalies for us and keeping them out. And those goaltenders, I would suspect, if they weren't in the OHL, they would be playing pro in Europe. Because if they're good enough to play in the OHL, there's going to be a pro team. Now, it may not be Division One, but it'll be Division Two. Because they don't have the junior feeder systems that, that, that we dine out on, right? Their, their pool of junior players is much smaller in Switzerland and, and Finland and so on. So they just play pro. So I would have to think that the CHL's made a conscious decision. If these guys are world class, they should be in our league. Again, I, keeping them out, uh, Frederick It's Anderson not like you're is, stunting them. No, they're still getting there. The only difference would be that if you keep them out, they may still develop, but it will be more spots for a Canadian guy to play in this league or, or an American guy. Yeah, but the guys that are going to play in the National Hockey League, like nobody's nobody's pushing Carey Price out of Montreal in the last 10 years and, and not for the foreseeable future. So Not when he's making 11 million bucks a year. Right on. So all the number one guys, they don't move around. Right, so and they don't change them every two or three years. If you get a good goaler, he's got a job for ten years if he doesn't wet the bed. Like Anderson isn't going anywhere. So there's the only spot is Sparks took one, right? And if Sparks ends up being his backup, he might be there five or six years as a backup. There's no guarantee he'll be the number one guy. I think the last person ever to be referred to as a goaler was Gump Worsley. <laughs> <laughs> a goal. The last time goaler was used as a regular turn of phrase was about 1954, but, you know, they weren't even wearing masks when they were known as goalers. <laughs> well, I'm no kid anymore. 
Um, Clearly, but <laughs> but so th- there's there isn't a market for them. There's a market for more defensemen, but you know everybody. There are probably, and I'd have to take a look at it because you never tell me what we're going to talk about. Nope. There are probably twenty number one goaltenders in the world, and well, in a National Hockey League, right? And and they've either been there for five years, and they're going to be there for another five, or they've been there for three years and they got another eight years. So developing more Canadian goaltenders, my point is, and I, I, I may even get to it, is that the elite Canadian goaltenders will make it to the National Hockey League. The cream will rise. If you're sure good enough, will. you'll make it. Absolutely. It's like quarterbacks. It, look at it. If, if, some, if the Sudbury Wolves, if, if this uh, Finnish kid has stepped in and stole the job as a 16 or 17-year-old, and Sudbury already had the number one goalie in the league, and they're going... I mean, this is a, this is a wonderful position. There's no rule in the book. You can't have two great goalies. You know that kid's getting traded to a contender. He'll be a num- number mm-hmm. one goaltender in another league. Everybody's going to get their shot. It's just, I mean, I, I don't I don't think it would change things because there's not a lot of positions available. Look at Marc Andre Fleury. Yeah. the the The, the only question becomes: uh, Are you a are I mean, they are clearly a development league. There's no question that they see themselves as a development league. It's also, are you a development league and a win-at-all-costs, do-it-for-the-fans-to-draw-fans league, or are you only or primarily a development league? Because if you're no, prim- see, you have to. If it's the latter, you want the best players, period, in your league. If you are about having the fans come out to watch you, you want the best players no matter who they are. If you're only about development in North America, you want those jobs for Canadians and some Americans. Well, I was going to say, the, the difference is, I mean, it's a development league. Do you want it to be exclusive, exclusively a development league for North American players and Canadian players, right? That's that's the difference. I mean, um, and there's there's I'm sure that there's no number one draft picks of the OHL saying, I'm weighing my options to play for the junior team in Finland. Right? Like, we're not losing anybody. And you go back to the fact, and, and you look at the CHL as a business as well. Like, I'm pretty convinced that the Sudbury Wolves are pretty happy to have a Finn goaltender. I think the Sudbury Wolves, quite frankly, are happy to have almost anyone who's willing to go to Sudbury for the winter and play hockey up there. Well, winter will be over in a couple of months up there. They're going to be fine. Uh, there was a kid, there is a kid uh, from Dunville. He's now playing pro down in the States, uh, not NHL. He's playing in the minors named Matt Schmaltz. Uh, good kid, nice kid. I remember talking to him a few years ago when he was playing for the Sudbury Wolves, and I said to him, it, it must be tough up there in winter. I mean, it, it's got to be a difficult place to play because it is so cold. And he said, I'll tell you what, he was talking to me. I can't remember if he was talking to me from his car or from his apartment or from his billet. But he said, I had a shower in the rink after practice and walked to my car in the parking lot. And by the time I got to my car, my hair had frozen solid. And I was like, yeah, that would, that it's a long way away and it's really cold and not being funny. That, that is a tough spot to lure kids to come. There's a lot of players before the OHL draft that tell teams they won't come. And the Sudbury Wolves have been told before that guys are not going to report to Sudbury, so don't draft them. So when they can get a kid like this, a Finnish goalie who's willing to come and willing to play there and happy to play there and doing so well, they're thrilled. Well, it's not all that balmy in Finland in the winter either. You know? I don't imagine it is. 
So even I, the pickled herring freezes. A name you might remember, Rod Davidson was an assistant coach in Brantford when I had the uh, minor pro team, the Smoke, and we won a championship. So about three years later, he's still bouncing around trying to coach, and he's in um, Anchorage coaching the Alaska team in the East Coast Lake. So also not balmy. Calls me one one day, and um, you know I knew he was in Alaska, and he's you know have you got any players? You got any contacts? I need some guys. I said to go to Alaska. It's pretty cold there, and he said cold. It's been dark since I got here. <laughs> so you talk about cold, and I I, I saw him that summer. I said what What's it like? And he said it, it was dark all the time <laughs> I was there. I thought the cold would be a problem. It was. It's been dark since I got here, and then when I left. He says, now the good part is I'm not going back for the summer, but you can golf 24-7 in the summertime. So yeah. everybody's got their challenges, and I've had a couple guys that have played for me after they retired from the East Coast League that played in uh, Alaska, and they absolutely loved it. I don't know why, but they just thought it was a great place to play. Great sleeping weather. Well, one of the reasons is, too, they, there weren't a lot, wasn't a lot of busing. They got to fly everywhere, and they generally had an advantage on the visiting team. Yes, but Anyway, I get, they loved it, and I, I believe they're still in the league. So well, anyway, that's got to be worse On the flip side, Sudbury. when I went down to pick you up today from the front door, or let you in at the front door, uh, it was light out, which was... I absolutely love it. I can, I'll give up an hour's sleep for daylight at 7 o'clock. I don't mind the daylight. I do mind the loss of an hour's sleep, but I'll, well, I'm sure I'll survive. Well, after the weekend you put in... Planes, trains, automobiles, football, we're basketball. We're sure we'll survive. Basketball, volleyball. We'll survive. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.